You're listening to Tabletop and Beyond, Guild 9 Gaming Podcast, covering board games to war games and beyond. And welcome back to Tabletop and Beyond. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, two back-to-back episodes in two subsequent weeks. Jason, you're with me today. How you doing? Woo! Let's do it. Yeah. You were out of town last week. You missed us. I, I did. Dan's I did. out of town this week. He's missing us. And he's probably not. He he's told me Disney, he was. He told me he would. Yeah, <laughs> no, he's true. not. There, he's not missing us. He told me he would. So he is. He is in his zone. His family loves Disney. They love Disney. Yeah. Speaking of Disney, um, apparently, I think the new like resort opened up where you're like on a starship. Did it open already? Um, if it's not open, it's about to open. We we're talking about this at work with some friends. Yeah. Guess how much per night it is. Per person or per room? Per room. Per room? I'm going to say 600 a night. Ooh, you're pretty close. It was like 525. 525? Okay. Hey. Yeah. 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 And that was like for like a queen bed. But it's like full full immersion, right? Yeah. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser All Immersive Adventure. And I think when you book it, it gives you. Voyages began March 1st, 2022, now booking. So you yeah. can book for it now. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, like, when you get this, like, basically you're getting your park passes, you're getting all your dining, like, everything. You you basically get everything as, you, as part of this, right? Like, yeah. you are in it to win it. Like, if you're in for a penny, you're in for a dollar. So it's, I mean, <clears throat> that's not right. I guess that's not really the phrase. In for a penny, in for a pound, the British right. way. <laughs> I was really confused there for a minute, but no. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, it's not it's not totally out of the realm of like what a Disney experience costs. I mean, if you think like seven seven nights at five twenty five is like you know thirty seven hundred dollars about. Yeah. And and that's about the price of you know of an expensive or you know of a Disney cruise maybe of, or maybe a little more. But it, it it's in the order of magnitude, I think. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Okay, all right, kind of, kind of, in the sense that that $3,500 or whatever that we're talking about, you know, um, is only your hotel. Didn't you just say it was also you get your park passes and your food? and You had to purchase all of those as one big package. Oh, those are are separate. So, yes, so what they're saying... So it's not an inclusive resort. Well, it is as you purchase everything all at once, and then it becomes inclusive, I guess, right? So, so you're paying five twenty five plus passes plus meal tickets plus yeah. Is that what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, they're saying that for a total of two thousand three hundred and three dollars, you could stay two nights at Disney's Grand Floridian, right? Um, mm. But that same kind of cost is like four thousand eight hundred nine dollars at like the two guests per cabin. Type thing. Gotcha. So it's like double if you're, you know, the Floridian. Yeah, but, okay. but you're paying for the experience, man. You're like literally on a Star Cruiser. So is it like you know when you walk by like the what looks like windows is really like LCD screen? Oh, you know LED monitors showing space and. Yeah, pretty outside. much. Yeah. Pretty much. In fact, I'm going to copy an image to you right now that I you can do. see and you can comment on it. Live. Live. So this is this is a live reveal, ladies and gentlemen. 
of what Jason's reaction would be. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I think I would pay for it. Yeah, you now, know the demand's going to be out of control. Now, what? Now, I would hope, and I'm sure that they do, because you know, there's common sense is common. We know that that uh, that screen behind that bar yeah. is is um, a multi-day unique screen. Oh, like, that'd be cool. Yeah. Every day I come in at two, I don't see the same starships flying by. Yeah, that'd be kind of awesome. You know, and maybe maybe on the third day, it's like a totally different planet. Yeah, you know? or like you walk in in the middle of the night and it's like stars shooting by because you're yeah. like in hyperspace. Right. Yes. See, they should hire us. <laughs> How just fast did we come free. up with that? How just fast let us stay come... for free. Exactly. That's, exactly. There you go. Yeah, for free. All these ideas, <laughs> they just for free. Every night we'll write a comic card. Yep. And it'll make their attraction better. Disney's a bunch of idiots. Totally. Why didn't they think of this? <laughs> <laughs> they probably do do that. <laughs> anyway, they probably thought about it way before we yeah. did. Yeah. They didn't though. They didn't. No, of course not. <laughs> how could Who they? Has they the don't, how could they? They didn't have us to <laughs> right. tell them. Right. There's no way. <laughs> no way. It is pretty cool looking though, man. I mean, it, you yeah. know, it's got the feel and everything and It'd be interesting, like, you know, to see how in character, you know, the the uh, the crew is. Yeah, definitely. The, you know, how well they hold character. So if really you're cool on a Star see. Cruiser, is it the Imperial Star Cruiser or is it like a Rebel Free Fleet Star Cruiser? So, um... Or is it just like some, like, Alderaan-like Star Cruiser? You know what I mean? Like, Dude, I'm going victory class all the way. I mean, why wouldn't you? I mean, you know, that's where the money is. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Imperial. But, uh, no, that's... wait. So, wait a minute. It is in that time period. It's in the Rebel Im- Imperial... Okay. Rebel Empire time period? Okay. So, it's... Um, I think it is uh, Rebel... Yeah, I think it's pre-episode three. Okay. Got it. Okay. So, we have the Halcyon Star Cruiser... Is the jewel of the Chandrilla Starline, uh, Chandrilla Starline, aboard the 100 cabin Carillion MPO 1400 model Star Cruiser, you'll voyage to the far reaches of the galaxy in legendary comfort and style. Recently refurbished and re-outfitted, the Star Cruiser combines modern convenience with the romance of the age of exploration. So it's gonna there be you cool. go. Only 100 rooms, man. Whew. That's another reason why that price is up there. Oh, absolutely. And I, I have a feeling that that's underpriced. Like, people would pay more for it, don't you think? Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean... There the, are some people out there that would pay I'm a sh- lot Oh, more. of course. I'm sure that they'll, uh, you know, the prices will adjust after the first couple seasons, and they see the demand, and they play with the demand a little bit. Yeah. And Disney does what Disney... What big, big big people do, they create fake shortages and all that stuff to, you know, get excitement and that kind of thing. But we'll see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting, though. Only 100 rooms. Uh, you know, they must have balanced that for the experience because, I mean, you could cram probably 500 people on something like that and they'd be totally jazzed. Yeah. I mean, you, you're probably thinking social space, yep. too, you yep. know. So mm-hmm. that it's not, it doesn't feel like you're. You're not being just like bouncing around in a cruise ship. Yeah, or eating like, like at a cafeteria style 
you know. I mean, it still may be cafeteria style, but it's galactic cafeteria style. So, yeah, I'm, I've got to look at some other pictures at some point. But, uh, you know, this is where, like, if you're really going to be on a starship, uh, there's two ways you could go with that, right? You could go the cramped quarter feel, or you could go the, like, ridiculous, like, large and spacious um like uh like a uh, fifth element for example right yep 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 the cruise ship on fifth element it was like you know you know skyscraper uh height ceilings you know that kind of yeah thing. yeah so i just posted a little link to the actual disney star cruiser yeah. overview and uh they got you know they have like little drawings right. of pictures like they don't have the actual pictures cuz I, I bet it's not even finished yet um, but it's crazy. I wonder what I mean. You'd think that, well, probably not. You're right. If it's March 22, they're probably still putting finishing touches on. Yeah. Boy, look at that cabin. That looks great. Doesn't it though? Yeah, totally. All yeah. right. Well, we'll have to follow this as we uh, as it makes continual progress to get ready. Should be exciting. Do you see that? Like when you pull up. I mean, again, this is kind of their little design of it. When you pull up to like um. Uh, yeah. drop your bags off it looks like the little um base on endor mm-hmm. like yeah. where they had to like drop the the shields you know yeah that's kind of cool little launch pad yeah i i love disney just keep spending money we encourage just... you to extend your vacation with a stay at disney resort <laughs> hotel before or after <laughs> right like, you don't need to so go back can... to real life you can stay there for like two or three days. I think they may only be booking you for two days at a time. Like I think that oh, they've really? got a yeah. I think they've got a hard cap. And oh, then you can then you me. can move to like one of their other resorts if that's you want to stay longer. For me. Yeah. No, yeah. Dude. See like look like, read it. Read it. Star Wars Galactic Star Cruiser is a revolutionary new two night experience where you are the hero. That is not enough night. So here's the other thing. What if um, there is a narrative for those two nights that oh, you're there. Yeah, because it says you're the hero, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, and so like... It's going to be like Wolf Trap Lodge where kids are running around with wands. Yeah, right? Like little <laughs> lightsabers everywhere. Yeah, little lightsabers, yeah. Um, and like I'm wondering if half of the stuff is like, like you may go to like the Star Wars park for part of the day, like maybe as a private party kind of mm. thing or early, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. then come back. But like you're not expected to go to the Disney like resorts during those two days. Like your event is there. You know what I mean? And then, like, you would go do Magic Kingdom after you left there. You know? Yeah, we'll see. Kind of interesting. Could be. Could be. It says, like, as the itinerary continues, you'll take the story further and deeper. Choose your path. Right? So. Yeah. So, I'm again. I'm watching like, the, uh, the little yeah. video on the, the, the intro page there, and it kind of looks like this dude's, like, doing a little quest. Yeah. You know, so like, what if your two days are literally like there on the cruiser, and that's why it's a two day experience? Like, that's a storyline. You know, that'd be interesting to. to you know, we're totally like just not even hitting our. But anyways, it'd be, <laughs> we haven't you know, even started the I episode. Know, I know. Are we recording? Are we, yes. No. Uh, so you know what's funny is, did you ever go? Have you ever been to like dinner theaters with yes. like ma- magic dinner theaters? Yep. Yep. You know, like yeah. th- those have. Um, Everywhere that I have lived, 
that there has been a dinner, like a magical dinner theater, you know, like a midi, not midi, I'm not talking like medieval times where there's right, like right, a show, right. you know, mass produced food. I'm talking like, you know, there's like maybe 20 people around a table and it's like a very uh, personalized, like kind of intimate, yeah, setting. intimate thing. And usually yep. there's like a dragon pops out of the center of the table in the, at the end and, you know, there's a magician comes out. Everywhere I live that I've been to those on, they always burn, crash and burn. Um, I've never seen so them last. There was a place in Woodbridge. Yeah. It was up off of Route 1. Yep. It was like there, called the Playhouse Theater or something like that. Is it still like there? That. No. Yep. <laughs> See? <laughs> there was one in Alexandria. There, yeah. I mean, every, the, it's just like they haven't figured – no one has figured the business part out properly. And if you think about it right, it's like – um, you, you, it's not like you can have like a hundred people in your restaurant that you're cycling out every 30 minutes. Right. Right. You know, you've got a small group of people that are in that little tiny area for like the night. And usually like, depending on what you're doing, cause I, I know that some of them did like mystery dinner theaters Yeah, and they'd right, have right. actors there yep. that kind of facilitated. Yeah. So you got to pay the cook staff. You got to pay the actors. Yeah, you got to pay your rent. And there's only like 20 people and it's like open Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. You know, yeah. so. Wow. Where are we in our discussion right now? I don't know, but <laughs> my head's spinning on how we make that profitable. <laughs> yeah, Disney it. may have your Star Wars experience, but just wait. Guild 9 Gaming 2027. <laughs> We're going to release our... I don't know something experience. It's gonna it's coming. Be it's gonna epic. be epic. <laughs> It'll be the most mediocre dinner theater yes. you've ever had. <laughs> yes, you'll never a night to remember <laughs> and, <laughs> that, that you wish to forget. <laughs> exactly. Just wait for it. Twenty 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 three. Oh, twenty three now. Crap. Got to accelerate four years. <laughs> oh, <Okay>. whoops. <laughs> oh. All right. Where we're at, let, let's get to this. Oh, it's Geek Week time, man. <laughs> How was week. your Geek Week? <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, last week, uh, I mean, I was out last week, but week before last, I went and saw Dune the night it was released. Have you guys talked so, about Dune? Did you talk about it we, last week? We talked a little bit about it. Dan had not seen it yet, Dan so I gave my take yeah. about how much I, I absolutely loved this movie. Oh, uh, yes. yes. Like, it, this is a movie, and I'm saying this again, that... I, when I watched it, I came away thinking, like, that was a pretty good movie. But then it simmered within me over the oh, next yeah. few days. And I'm like, that was a great movie. Oh, my gosh. Like, the more that I thought about it, the more I'm like, they did so good with that. So yes. good. Uh, amazing. Um, so, you know, maybe we'll. Uh, no, go ahead. I just Do love your it. thing. I just love the movie. You know, and I love that director. I love his style. Yep. He, you know, the same guy did Blade Runner 2049. Yep. Um, just, uh, he knows how to portray, and we've talked about this before, he knows how to portray character development without anyone having to say anything. Oh. I mean, he's so good at so capturing good the subtle, like, f you know, emotional responses, the, the facial gestures and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So I mean, there amazing. is a video that I'm going to share with you. Maybe I'll put it on our Facebook page. Um, it was a, a Vanity Fair video, right? It's kind of like a Dune promo video. Mm -hmm. And he is breaking down the scene with the Gom Jabbar, uh, right? Okay. Which is yeah. that needle that yep. he, like, yep. he, and yep. he had to put his hand in the box, right? Uh -huh. Yeah. 
he breaks down that scene from beginning to end, and when you walk away, you're like, I know why this movie was so good. Yeah. Because, like, he has a passion. He started that whole little video segment talking about how he read that book when he was 10 years old, and he's read it so many times since, and that, like, for him to do this is just, like, the crowning achievement of his career, basically. Like, he's just like, this is the best thing that's ever happened to me, and or maybe ever will happen to me. And he did such a great job with it, too. Oh, you can tell, like, his passion for this story came out in that movie so well. You know, know, and... Uh, you know, I had a friend ask, should I see it in IMAX or Dolby? And I said, I absolutely recommend Dolby over IMAX if you're yeah. going to go for the first time. And, and other people I've talked to have agreed with the same thing because the music of this movie is another thing that makes it just the immersive quality of the of the music. Yep. It is, we saw you know, it in the yeah, Dolby Atmos and it was yeah. so worth it. Oh my gosh. And and it's interesting you can get online and you know I'm not going to rehash articles. You can read it yourself, but you can get online you can read about the, you know, the 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 making of the music behind Dune and and how they cre- you know, they they created instruments that don't exist today. Um something I thought that was interesting with the uh the voice, people who under- you know know the Dune or have seen the movie. Um, yeah. they didn't synthesize anything with the voice. They just overlaid multiple people's voices. Oh yeah, that was awesome. And they did that. He, I think he said he did that to give the feeling of the voice is a culmination of generations upon generations of people before you coming together. Yeah. Yeah. So that kind of detail and just you know paying attention to what he's doing is just amazing. So I I I down. It's on HBO uh, as well. Gosh, see it in the theater. Don't watch it on HBO. First. I think I'm going to watch it again on HBO. Yeah, so I downloaded you know? it to my phone and watched it when I was on my business trip again. So and it was you're just, just like, it's good. so good. Yeah, just uh, good. So apparently, you're talking about the music. Um, so Hans Zimmer did the music for Dune. Yep. And apparently he turned down Tenet that Christopher Nolan did um, because he was like, I can't say no to Dune. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, Which, I think, yeah. I mean, like, he would have been, like, his music would have been awesome on Tenet. Tenet was kind of uh, a little ambitious. <laughs> That's a nice thing, nice way I can, yeah, nice Tenet, thing I can say about Tenet. I, I actually like Tenet. Um, it ha- I struggle with, I struggle with time stuff. Yeah. Because the time, anytime you introduce any type of a time reversal or forward or back, it's just, you're opening yourself for plot holes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, but I think Tenant. Uh, we can talk about that another time. I think Tenant was okay. Um, I don't think the music. Uh, it wasn't memorable to me in Tenant. It, right. it did what it did its job. But yeah. It wasn't like I walk away from Dune. I think the music, and the sound, yeah. and yeah, yeah and the sound. Like, in fact, I had a coworker that like <laughs> we got in the rental car and his his i iPhone like connected to the rental car to pull up maps and immediately started playing the last thing that he was listening to and it was the Dune soundtrack. Nice. <laughs> yeah, it was great. Which is, you know, just a bunch of like, you know, tribal people like singing two notes at a high shrill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um uh and I got to say the acting top to bottom was phenomenal. Yeah, even phenomenal. from people who I thought, you know, like I I like Dave Batista, uh, Dave Batista. Dave? Yeah, Dave yeah. Batista. Yeah. I, lo- I he's a fun character. He's a fun actor. He's, he, he was he, great in Guardians, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was, uh, my opinion, he was okay in Guardians. But anyways, uh, he he played his role. He played yeah. the role yeah, just yeah, the way yeah, it needed yeah, yeah. to be. I, I, in I Dune. totally agree. And did it yep. great in Dune. He showed the emotions when he needed to. He showed a lack of control of emotions, which you know the Harkonnen 
you know they're very uh aggressive so yeah. i think he did he he did great he portrayed uh, that role well i thought the guy um and i'm forgetting his name but the guy who played poe dameron on uh you know the star wars last trilogy yeah he mm-hmm. was duke leto atreides yep. right he yep. did awesome he was so good in that so good so yeah good. i love I the like, kickback wow. I, I wanted to be a pilot yeah. And everyone's right. like, hey. Hey, gotcha. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> that just worked out. And uh, big props to Timothy Chalamet, like, who played Paul Atreides. Like, that kid can <sighs> oh, act. Oh, my gosh, yes. He can act. Yes. You know? I mean, watching, you know, when this kid that is struggling, like, re- r- starting to recognize that he has been, you know, bred as a leader on multiple fronts. Yeah. And to watch his face when he's like getting frustrated with that path and then eventually deciding that this is the way for him. You know, I, just, I love it when he's sitting in the, um, when they first arrive on, uh, uh, gosh, uh, Arrakis, when they first arrive on the planet and he's sitting in the, whatever the chop, the, you know, hornet fly chopper thing they're in. Yeah. And, uh, and Ornithopter. Yeah, Hornet, and and the, all the like you know locals are like gathered, and his mom turns to him and is like, "They're uh, they're waiting for their savior." Yeah, and he does this like, like you know, grimace look down that just totally captures, you know, what this guy is thinking, and that's just what makes yeah. this movie beautiful is that you can capture the thoughts inside all of the characters' head just by watching their acting and their facing. And that's in their that is a tribute, really, to Denis Villeneuve, yes. right, the director, because like Absolutely. he's all about that. And uh, when he in this in this that video I was talking to you about, where he was describing the Gom Jabbar scene, like he said that there was like one point where you know he had this uh, the actress who played the mother superior of the mm-hmm. of the Bene Gesserit, right? Yeah. He's like she's like this world renowned actress, and I decided to put this veil over her face. Like, what a risky move that was, right? Like, you can barely see her face, but what it does is it almost gives it like one of those confessional boards. You yeah. know what I mean? So there's like right. this weird like religious mysticism and authority with that veil over her face. But there's one point where like Paul he gets control of his emotions, you know, during that test. Yep. And she gives just this quick look of alarm yep, with her yep, eyes yep. just with her eyes and that says a billion words right there you know what i mean you're like oh she's kind of freaked out yeah. you know and it was just masterful masterful another example of that is the very end of the movie when um when they're so uh whatever when uh yeah. when you know uh paul is walking um with the people and he, you know the girl turns around and says like this is just the beginning and then they smile and walk off and it shows his mom and his mom has this smile on her face and then right before it cuts that smile slightly changes yeah into an expression of oh boy oh no yeah oh no yeah. and oh man it was just so subtle but i remember annie turned to me when she saw that and she was like did you see that yeah that was amazing yeah. you know I don't know about her now. I don't know. Yeah. It's like that's that's this guy's directing, man. He's amazing. Yeah. So it's good. Amazing. He he can capture a shot so well. Oh, so well. Yeah. Like, I wonder how many knows. I wonder like I wonder how many times he he has to redo shots with his actors. 
That's a good question, because like when he was walking through the scene thing, like he almost goes in and says, "This is what I want to see from you as an actor. Like this is the, this is what I feel like the emotions that are being conveyed, right?" And so, like, it probably takes him. I mean, he at least gives them, I think, that direction before they even get in front of the camera. So hopefully, they've been working on it, right? Like, and they don't have to take like a thousand takes before. Yeah, they understand what the director wants, you know, because I think he's what I what I think is great about him is it sounds like he has a very good vision of every scene of what he wants to convey in that. And then he really is able to communicate that with the actors. So, yeah, how, I mean, yeah. we haven't even talked about the Baron. Oh, my gosh. It's oh, perfect. yeah. Oh, perfect. man. It's so perfect. good. Yes. So good. Oh, so good. I'll tell you the one person who. I was worried about that, you know, I actually was pretty good with was uh was uh Mr. Aquaman in the Jason movie. Momoa? Yeah. As good Duncan guy, Idaho. fun 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 yeah. actor, you know, action movie actor. Uh I feel like he did a great job. I was a little worried at times with, you know, is he going to be able to bridge the gap between trying to be a serious action Yeah. uh a guy and, you know, trying to feel natural about his role in the movie, but I think he did a great job. I loved Josh Brolin, who came in as uh, a gurney, um, what's his name? Uh, but he was like the man-at-arms kind of thing that uh-huh. helped Paul train after Duncan left. Yep. yep. You know, and, and uh, that was that was a cool little moment of exposition where they kind of talked about the shields that they had. Yep. And, mm-hmm. you know, but like it was really like, Paul, you got to watch out for yourself, you know. Because you never know what might happen. Like some really great foreshadowing and exposition all rolled into one, you know. So another good good. example of great storytelling, right? Like he helps the audience understand the technology of the shield without having some sidebar sentence that says the shield is a technology that protects the blah 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 to give us some boring thing, right? He he. It goes. Th- he he shows it and tells helps the audience become educated through an actual interesting scene yeah. about it. Yeah, I saw someone the other day. Was like, I I just didn't get it when like everyone's running around with swords, and I'm like, well, you clearly missed the idea of like the shield. Fast things. Yeah, the shield. Like <laughs> fast things don't penetrate. You they know, don't. So bullets yeah. don't work. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well. You know, we could probably talk forever and ever about Dune, but so I, I watched Dune one week and then I watched Dune the next week and I love it and I'm sure I'll watch it again just like I've watched Blade Run Blade Runner twenty forty nine like a million times already. But twenty twenty three is when the next one comes out. <sighs> part two? Yeah. Yeah, part two. Yeah. I know everyone I, I walked out of that theater and everyone's like, Well, I hope they do a part two. I was like, Are you kidding me? Of course they're doing a part two. <laughs> there's no way they <laughs> there's can't. No like... way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean yeah. You know how many Fast and the Furiouses have they done? <laughs> I know, right? You know, or or Land Before Times. Exactly. No, anyways, uh, so another thing that was fun when you know Halloween approaching, when I was out on, uh, and we'll cut this short just because we've been running long here, but when I was out on travel, I was in a hotel room one one night and just kind of trying to zone out before I hit hit the bed, turn the TV on. And uh, good old House of Wax was on. I said, you know, oh, what? Nice. we're getting near Halloween. Let's watch it. So I watched. The, I got sucked into House of Wax. I don't know if you got you've seen that or not. You know that was. Uh, I I think I've seen bits and pieces of it, and like this is just ridiculous and awesome at the same time. Yeah, like, it's it's one of those like you know what it's about. Like there's no from the beginning, you know what it is, right? Yeah. There's no like you know forty five minute build up to when it starts going down. No, it starts going down pretty quick. 
uh, yeah. in the movie. But it's got um, it was fa- it it was made famous because it has uh, oh I'm drawing a blank. What's her name? Paris Hilton? Yes, right, exactly. Yep. yep. And everyone everyone's kind of like, wait, what? This was like 2005 Paris Hilton, yeah. where she yeah, was like at the height, right? Yeah. But everyone's like, wait, per- she's in a movie. Yeah. A horror movie. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, she didn't really, she really didn't have a role at all in the movie. I mean, you know, very tiny part. She's one of the, you know, campers gets killed, but, uh, but interesting story. Um, like I said, it wasn't really. It's one of those movies where you know you piece together the whole like the the backstory of the evil you know the evil characters the brothers you piece it together kind of near the end but you don't even really need to have the story because at the end of the day there's just two brothers that are killing people yeah and so right. you're like oh, okay well see if they can survive yeah right but yeah uh, whatever yeah fun movie all right what about you uh so just kind of a busy week with uh you know halloween and kids and all that stuff like we had a lot of stuff going on but um uh, my wife and I sat down. Well, let, let, let me back up. Um, I'm getting ready for this tournament next weekend. This is the boring one. Um, and, uh, so I'm painting my, I built and painted and painting my second mock crusher. So I've got uh, two mock second. crushers. Yeah. I'm going to mm. run a two mock crusher list Nice. and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> so I don't have that many, I don't have that many models. Like I think, let me think real quick. 15. So, <sighs> I don't think I've ever seen two of those on a table. Eight twenty-eight. I have thirty models total in my army. I don't think I've ever seen two mock crushers on a table. Yeah, um, but with the new monstrous rules in Age of Sigmar, like they're oh, pretty beefy. Right. And here's what's cool: they have an ability in their new book that came out that when they issue for one command point a command ability, they can give it to three different units. Oh, nice. So, like, um, one of the command abilities is called All Out Attack, and it lets you add one to your hit rolls. Well, they can be like, you three are all going to do that. Or they need to pass Battleshock, you three units can all do that. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's pretty awesome. Um, But, you know, it's it's a different game, so it's a lot of fun. So I'm going to see how it works. Um, I've kind of shopped two different lists around with a bunch of players, like our buddy Matt Barker. You know, I said, hey, you know, you've kind of been playing a little bit. What do you think of these two lists? He's like, honestly, go with the two mock crusher list. Like, I think you'll have more fun with it. So, it, like, all right, let's do it. It's about having fun, too, man. Yeah. You know, there's going to be 30 people at this tournament. Wow, that's big. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the max is 32 for uh, for an RTT, right? A Rogue Trader tournament, which is only a three game thing. If you get above 32, you have to turn it into a, uh, it's not a grand tournament, but it's a major, a major. I think. Anyway. Yeah, I need to. I we need to. I need to get an an AOS 3.0 game going. I, my problem is, is I've got you know I finished my flesh eater courts last year. Yeah. I played through all of 2.0 with the flesh eater courts. Right at the end, I started some. My next one is I'm just gonna make ogres, right? And yeah. I, I really had fun painting up the ogres, but I don't have them all finished yet. Yeah. And I had a huge hiatus from painting. I went back and sat down. I was like, I don't remember my color scheme. <laughs> these guys. So I'm like, crap. So I've got, I've got to figure out how to blend them back together a little so, bit. So, I mean, another thing you could do is just, like, 
make them and then swap all of the things so they have different skin tones in yeah, each unit you know true. what i mean yeah, yeah so like if you get them kind of close like maybe some are a little bit more ruddy than the other ones but yeah like, who cares? Oh, they're ogres they're all ogres yeah right? they're all dirty and you know whatever yeah so. so good times um so yeah anyways getting ready for the tournament so you know building painting getting lists together all that good stuff i'm excited for it um and that'll be this Saturday, so I'll give a report next week on on how how it went. Uh, but on ha- uh, the night before Halloween, my wife and I sat down to watch a scary movie. And it's like a tradition picked... for you guys, right? Because remember well, you did it last year too. Yeah. So normally we watch like my wife's like I feel like watching Hocus Pocus, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, we're not doing that. You know, like we'll do that with the kids. I have watched that every year for quite a yeah. few years with the kids. But, but it, yeah. But I mean, if if with the kids, absolutely, I will watch Hocus Pocus with you. Uh, my kids also like the Hubie Halloween that came out on Netflix oh, last yeah, year. No, I didn't see that one. But yeah, <laughs> it's so with dumb, Adam but Sandler. it's so funny. It's so dumb. I heard it's, it's pretty funny. It's funny, um, and uh, like it makes my son, who's like twelve, just crack up. Which that's like the level of humor, right? I, get, um, I should make my wa- my wife la- wa- watch that because what's funny is my wife. I'm still in your t- thunder here, but yeah, it's all good. My wife. It's funny. The older we've gotten, and if you know who know Annie, she she has like a serious side to her, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, the older she gets, the more she like totally gut laughs to like slapstick. Like the other day, I was like, she was sitting in a chair reading. I was like, I'm just gonna put on a Naked Gun movie. Nice. And I put on a Naked Gun movie, and she was gut laughing for like an hour and a half. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you are changing. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, our standards start to get way right. lower. That's what you it know? is. That's yeah. what it is. There's a reason old people love Mel Brooks, right? Yeah. Like. Right, right. Well, so, okay. So what did so what were you guys watching? So so um, we decided to go Conjuring two because we watched Conjuring oh, one last year. That's right. So Conjuring two is the story. It's like you know they talk about Amityville, you know, and. Um, in England, apparently, there was a story that was like the England's version of Amityville, where the house was kind of taken over and and going after the the family, you know. Wait, 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 and, wait, wait, wait. The Conjuring Two is like a retelling of the Amityville story. No, 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 no. So, um, they talk about Amityville right in there okay. as a thing, but what happens is this story is in England, okay, and there's a house that um had you know a similar similar stuff going on and they called it england's version of amityville okay so um gotcha. apparently these are based on true stories uh i think i did hear that once i mean true like paranormal they had, normal stories but yeah and they had um they had pictures of the families you know at the end uh, which is kind of interesting because they're like you know this is this girl this is like you know the actress and stuff like that so yeah that always makes it a little more creepy Oh, totally. You finish watching this movie and then you're like, oh, oh so that was oh. that that was a real little girl. Okay. That, like, you know, was yeah. like, you know, throwing people across the room. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> so, um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, we watched it. Uh, the great thing about that is like 20 minutes in, my wife was like, I don't think I want to do this anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, baby, that train has left the station. Buckle Sit your up. butt down. Here we go. <laughs> so next year, just hold on tight, babe, and enjoy the ride. Yeah. So um, they've got a couple spinoffs, right? Like the spinoff of the first Conjuring was the Annabelle movie, because uh, they talked about Annabelle yeah. in there, and the spinoff of this Conjuring two was the Nun. The Nun. Yep. Remember that. And so, um, so I said, okay, well, next year we can either go Conjuring three, 
<laughs> or we can go like Annabelle or the nun. And my wife's like, I don't want to do Annabelle. I don't want to do Annabelle. So I think we're going to do Annabelle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. So, you know, yep. good times. Good my times. wife has, has put her foot down every time an Annabelle trailer or something pops up. She goes, absolutely not. Never. <laughs> oh, they're, listen, those, the, they're, they're decent movies, like in terms of especially like scary movies, like they got their stuff together on these ones. Like they're not, um, they they've got a good mix of suspense, like suspense and jump scare and horror. You know what I mean? Like it's yeah. a, it it's uh, there's a little bit of gore. I think sometimes not terrible, but um, you know, so they got a, a good blend going on that gets you on different fronts, and I think that's why they're successful. Yeah, I'm you know I'm weird with scary movies like. I go on these kicks where, like, I read, like, horror novels. Yeah. Um, and, and then, you know, and the, the novels are, you know, even more intense, I think, than movies sometimes. But just because of the amount of time they have to, right. to build up. But uh, I I really struggle with, like, um, movies that involve, like, you know, like, real life, like, ghost stuff. Like, right. Horror movies that are in like have enough of a fantasy or a sci-fi spin, I think I'm okay with because a little part of me is like, this isn't my time or this, this isn't real. This isn't my reality. Yeah. Yeah yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it helps me cope with it a little this bit. This is a different world in the multiverse. Right, right. <laughs> no? But it's you know like, like the you know the nun or or I don't know if you've seen the I think it's called Mother. Oh yeah, that one's weird. Yeah, um, all those things that like are in our normal s- space. Those ones I struggle with. Did you see that movie trailer for Lamb? It's no, a horror movie no, by uh, the same people who did Midsommar. Oh. Okay. Oh. Yeah, the weird. And also who did The Green Knight, which was weird. Yeah. I cannot express how weird that movie was. I can't express it enough. Anyway, there's a movie. They showed the trailer for Lamb, which is this couple that's trying to conceive this child, and they they can't have a baby, but they go out to where the sheep gave birth, and it's a half baby, half lamb. Oh yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Like with a yep. lamb head. Mm-hmm. And it's like this weird abomination. I think the husband wants to kill it, but the mom's like, "No, it's our baby." Yeah. And <laughs> anyway, it's just like I'm watching this going like, this trailer freaks me the crap out, but it's not because it's like scary it's because this is so weird it's so weird it's all that so, strange stuff yeah so strange so, strange. so yeah weird anyway. weird tales so Anyways. yeah that's basically my geek week we had we had a good time cool so we don't have any jazzy songs for the news yeah we'll leave that that's his that's his bag it's his it's his thing it's his thing we yeah. can't encroach on his thing we do have some news though Yes, we uh, if you are into Numenera, I'm sure you've heard us talk about it several times on this podcast, which or means if you, you know want we to be into it. are not into it. Uh, the humble, <laughs> there's a humble bundle right now that's uh, a ton of Numenera source books. Yep. You know, uh, $260 I think is the estimated value, and it's typical humble humble bundle style. So go ahead and grab it. Um, you know, if you like your digital copies of RPGs, there's actually a, a, a lot. A lot in there. A lot of stuff. I on think there it's right the now. complete collection, almost, um, which kind of makes me wonder, like, yeah, it's got the maps anything, and everything. Is there anything new coming out for this? Have you? I haven't heard of any. Like, once that he had that big old bl- the black box. Remember that was the yeah. Monty Sun mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or Monty Cook the black 
black box. Yep. And it had all of this stuff in it. Obviously, physical copy, but here's the digital copies. And like that was all the rage for a long time. It was. Um, you know, this is one of those where it's just like I, I really wish I could love the mechanics of the system because I love the setting of the system. The setting's very cool. It is so cool. You know, uh, you know, it, just civilization five, something like five or ten civilizations have come and gone before you on the face of the planet. Yeah. And you know the and the like techn- advanced civilizations too. Yeah. So you know, and I think you're at the height of. You know, uh, maybe not like a super tech age, but there's all this like old technology from five civilizations around you. So yeah, it you know there's there, it just seems like a combination of magic and all that. Really cool setting, but I do I just can't get into the mechanic. Never been able to get into the mechanics. It's be, it's distracting. <sighs> yeah. Um. It and really it come to me it came down it came down to the math. It's right? it's too cumbersome. You can't do it quickly. Yeah. And maybe, you know, maybe somebody that's been playing it for five, ten years can do it quickly. But every time I've experienced the game with a GM who supposedly has had experience playing it, it it doesn't. It take you have to sit there and like calculate things. Yeah, and our game. experience I mean our experience with Numenera, like we had what's interesting, two experiences that, that same Gen Con, right? One with Numenera, one with Call of Cthulhu. Yep. Where we had like two GMs that just didn't live up to their potential, I feel like, you know, either yeah. they weren't prepared. Both of them, I don't think, were very prepared, um, and uh, and so that kind of jaded, I think, our feeling of I think the, so. the systems. Um, but then, like, I I decided to give Cthulhu a, a different try, and we played it at our GuildCon and had an absolute blast with it. Um, well, yeah, I don't I... know if that would be the same with Numenera, though. Here's the thing. Uh... The GM that for our Call of Cthulhu game, you know, he, if you remember, he was he had to picked it up like an hour before because the real GM got sick. Yep. yep. And so he was just helping us still have a session. And I I didn't actually mind the mechanics of the system at that point. I just realized he was kind of trying to work through something he exactly. didn't know. But Numenera, exactly. you know, the GM knew what they were doing. It was just the mechanics of the system bogged it down. Yep. But anyways, uh, one cool thing about this humble bundle, uh, we we'll stop ragging on it, um, is <laughs> it is you know the charity that is supporting is the Wikimedia Foundation. So oh, you know great. you ever you know once a year when you go to Wikipedia to look something up and you get that big bar at the top that says, "Can you please support please. us?" Two dollars and sixty cents is all we need. Yeah, this is an opportunity to get some cool stuff and support that uh, foundation. How much is the bundle right now? Fifteen bucks. Oh wow, that is really hard to pass up. All this dude, ah man, I almost p- made just pick it up just because. Just for I mean, the art, fifteen dollars. If anything, just for the art. Well, and dude, you could easily craft a setting. I mean, you got all the setting materials. Like, you don't have to. You could run a five E campaign in there, maybe. Uh, well, I mean, didn't he write Numenera into a five E? Maybe. I thought he did that. Yeah, maybe he did. Uh, yeah, I thought because the setting, took... the setting's great. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It, 15 bucks is good. Uh up to you. Um anyway, so um additional news there. Uh the the people who made uh Raiders of the North games. How do you say that name? Garfield? Garfield. Yeah. Garfield Games. Yeah. And uh it's the Rene- the stu- the game studio that publishes it is Renegade Studios. Ah. Yeah. So, um so these are the people that made it, right? Yes, exactly. Yep, okay. Yep. So 
So what's cool is they provided a roadmap and told their public about it, right? They said, hey, we've got uh, another trilogy coming up. This is of the South. We've got yep. the Wayfarers of the South, the Scholars of the South, and the Vendors of the South. And they told us what years are coming, right? Wayfarers is 2022, Scholars yeah. is 2023, and Vendors yeah. is 2034. <laughs> I think that... I was laughing because Jason put some notes in this thing, and and it was 2023, 2022, 2023, and then he just put 3034. <laughs> thousand years later. <laughs> I can tell. See, there's the thing: is the way that you pause, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew I was like checking <laughs> myself because it's like I must happening. have typed something wrong, or I'm about to mispronounce a word. <laughs> yeah why don't you keep going and uh, we'll find yeah, out uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> anyways i think it's cool when a company like just puts out there hey dudes this is what we're doing yeah and you can see for the next three years they've got uh they you can know where they're investing their time so fun games i love the raiders of the north games they're really easy work worker placement games with no no randomness i think at all in them it's just all about you know what are you going to do this time with what's I've played in front some, of you i've played some bad worker placement games and uh, we we all know what I'm talking about. Alien Encounters. Alien Frontiers. Frontiers. I, I don't want to even... That's but, true. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, these games are a lot of fun. Raiders of the North... Excuse me. Raiders of the North Sea um, are the, the debt trilogy. And then they had the um, Architects of the West Kingdom, yep. right? Which was, that like, was, all about, like... Um, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, that was uh, all about the um, Holy Roman Empire and and um, Charlemagne kind of times. Yeah. And then this one is the Wayfarers of the South Tig or South Tigris series, I guess, which mm-hmm. is uh, kind of looks like Babylonian style. Look, yeah, kind of. You know, um, It'll be kind fun. of that Middle Eastern. You know. Good art. art so. You know, good art. Yeah. Uh, fun, fun game. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It'll be good times. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, so next one, uh, The Book of Boba Fett. I'm sure most of you have seen the trailer by now, by the time this episode gets out, which will probably be three or four weeks from now. But uh, I just watched <laughs> I just watched it today, actually, for the first yeah, time. Yeah, so <clears throat> premieres on December 29th, at least that's from the source I got, uh, on yep. Disney+. Plus. Of course, takes place after the events of Star Wars um, and, of course, after Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Which makes sense because they yep. left you like, yep. okay, got it. Yep. We know where we're uh, going. I thought this was interesting. Uh, Ming-Na Wen, who plays as, at least from the trailer, looks like a sidekick to Boba. Well, she uh, was in uh, The Mandalorian. Yeah, but I, but at least she in the trailer, it looks like she's now yeah, a yeah, sidekick she, to Boba. Yeah. And they were they were kind of working together in season two, right? So, so what's interesting is it says that, uh, the, a quote from her, the book yeah. of Boba Fett was so secretive, or not from her, but... I guess from someone on set. This could be hearsay. But anyways, the book of Boba Fett was so secretive that Wynn didn't even realize she was shooting the series at first. She actually thought she was filming a third season of The Mandalorian. Ah, that's interesting. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Because she reprises, I mean, she's reprising her same assassin character that mm-hmm. she was in that one. So she's probably like, okay, this is just a different scene. All right, and we're like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, wait. Here's the thing, right? I'm, you know, I like Star Wars stuff. I'm going to be honest with you. The more Disney content Disney makes, the more it's becoming less special to me because there's so much. Yep. Um, and I look at the trailer for the book of Boba Fett and part of me geeks out, but the other part of me thinks that's not the Boba that 
it just doesn't look like the Boba Fett that I had had in my heart for all these years. For all these years. It right. looks like a different, a totally different this character. Is the, now, this is the old man Boba Fett. Yeah, and it makes sense, right? Because it's <laughs> yeah. not the same person. It's not the same time period. There's been experiences, so it totally makes sense. It's just I'm, I'm part of me's torn. Like, is this, is this going to feel like Boba Fett, or is it just going to feel like another dude in armor that looks like him? Yeah. That's what I'm worried about. Right. Just going to be honest. Good question. Very good question. We'll have to see. I, You know, it's interesting you talk about that because I think Marvel's suffering a little bit from Oh, my God. I am so over Marvel rap. right now. Like, did you watch any of the What If stuff? Uh, One episode, I think. I don't know. No, I might be confusing it with Loki, actually. Okay. So the Lo- What If Loki was kind of a big What If, the yeah. whole thing. But yeah. anyways. Yeah, so the what if ones were the cartoons, obviously, right? Oh, and so, right, right. Um, it, it was interesting because like they wrapped it up in the last two episodes of the season. That was like, oh, this is really kind of cool, and it actually related to everything else. Um, but you know, I'm sitting here going like, all right, this was like a lot of effort, and like people are going to be watching this, and I, I think the hardcore fans, and we've talked about this before, you start messing with the multiverse, mm-hmm. you're going to lose a lot of your normies. Yep. You know what I mean? Because they're going to be like, what in the crap is going on here? And here's the problem that they're running into. Major plot happenings are happening on Disney Plus on these shows. Not everybody has Disney Plus. So what happens when those people who didn't catch up on the latest season of Loki goes in to watch the new Spider-Man movie and they're making references to things that happened in Loki that they don't know about? You know what (laughs) I mean? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know if it'll matter so much, honestly, the way Marvel movies play out. I remember when I went to see yeah. uh, one of the Avengers. <laughs> we're sitting at Annie's like, let's go see the latest Avenger. I'm like, all right, sweet, let's go do it. We sit down in the movie theater. About 15 minutes in the movie, so I realized, it's like, I think I missed a movie. Yeah. <laughs> I had. I had, like, skipped. I hadn't seen the last Avenger movie. But you know what? It didn't matter. Yeah. After 15 minutes, I was caught up. Like, okay. All right. So it's like, all right. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. It's true. It's true. But anyway, so it, it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens with Star Wars because will. they've been leaning more towards the series side of things rather than like the movies. I think yeah. um, the last three kind of movies sort of burned them a little bit, um, and we'll see we'll see what happens when they decide to make uh, you know full length feature type. We'll of thing. see, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, uh, the one thing that I wanted to talk about is that last Saturday was uh, Warhammer Day. And so they had a bunch of um, releases. Now, typically every October 30th is Warhammer Day. And um, really what this is, is it's your Christmas shopping list. You know what I mean? Like they're previewing <laughs> all of the all of the yeah. models that will be coming out in the next month yeah. or two yep. Yep. that you can order for Christmas and, and get out. So uh, there's three things that came out. Um, I'm going to put these in order of, of interest to me. Um, I know that probably that's a different order for other people. Uh, but the first one, um, uh, the first one that I want to talk about is of least importance to me was the Shadow Throne 40K battle box that's coming out. And so this is uh, Adeptus, Adeptus Custodes, which is like the big guys in the golden armor, mm-hmm. right? They're like the primo space marines that are like chosen as like the they're kind of the praetorians of the space Mm -hmm. marines you know Mm -hmm. um and they their job is to guard terra and the emperor like they don't leave terra like that's their job right 
Um, and the other half of the shadow box is the Gene Stealer cult. And so the story is is that the Gene Stealer cults have invaded Terra. And now there's a big fight between um, these, you know, half-human, half-Tyranid people versus the Adeptus Custodes. So it sounds like they each are getting their new codexes, uh, codices, I guess. And, um, yeah, they'll have the, like, new rule books and stuff like that that yep. go along with the box. So pretty good there. Um, uh, there's They announced a new Nurgle book for Age of Sigmar 3.0. So... Um, very interesting. Nurgle was like the one of the first books of AOS 2.0, and so it's been like a good three years since Nurgle got a book. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how they update it. I think their that their last book had a lot of good stuff in it um, that still kind of made them re- uh, like relevant. I think that um, a good Nurgle player could always do well at tournaments. Um, so I'll be kind of curious to see what 3.0 does to their book. You know. Yeah, we'll see. So. Uh, that was uh, when I was trying to decide on my AOS army. It was between Nurgle and Flesh Eater Courts, but I went with Flesh Eater Courts. Right. Both of them had old books at the time, but uh, yeah. Flesh Eater Courts came came sooner, obviously. Yeah, for sure. Um, and the last one that is near and dear to my heart is there's a new Warcry starter box. I kind of talked about this a little bit. Uh, last week because they had previewed two models of the starter box that was coming out. Well, they gave us the whole glimpse of the box, which is kind of crazy because normally GW likes to tease you out for like a good two months before they give you like a full reveal. Well, they basically told us the whole Warcry reveal in like the space of a week. And I was like, whoa. Like we went literally from not knowing anything to like knowing the full reveal in a week, which is like just unheard of with GW. Like they, they like to string you along a little bit. Um, so, uh, what's coming out with this, uh, Warcry release, and you saw it, it is called Red Harvest, and the storyline behind it is that underneath the giant Varen Spire, which is kind of like this big tower within the eight points, and it's like a tower that's like founded on chaos, there's this like liquid metal that is being mined there called, um, I don't know what it's called, uh, Varen, Varen gold or something like that um anyway but it's basically this like chaosy metal like contact with it will like mutate you and corrupt you um but if you can harvest it and it's got some pretty powerful magic abilities right and so the story in aos 3.0 that kicked off the new narrative is that marathi got a whole bunch of this stuff and channeled it and basically ascended to godhood Right. And kind of through order and all this stuff into chaos. Um, so. So this Warcry box set is basically playing in the minds of this, uh, you know, Varen, Varen gold metal stuff. <laughs> and I, I know I'm butchering that name, but um, the trade for it is amazing. Like it looks like to me, like um, uh, if you can imagine Lord of the Rings when they were like mining out all of the stuff around the the White Tower, right when Sar- Saruman was mm. like, oh, we'll have the orcs start mining out all this stuff in here. Like, you've got, like, you know, water wheels and, like, you know, towers and sluices and all this stuff. And, and the train looks absolutely amazing. And um, they've got uh, two... Oh, the nice thing about this is it has a lot of two-tiered terrain. 
So you're talking like three and six inches up, and that may make a big difference in the way you play a, a lot of stuff. And um, two new warbands, one's kind of like a chaosy barbarian style. They're called the um, Dark Oath Clan. And so they look like Conan the Barbarian models. They look awesome. And the other one is called the uh, Tarant the tarantula brood mm-hmm. or something like that and they're like basically spider worshippers and they want to come in contact with this uh, chaosy metal stuff because it will trans they're hoping it will transform them into like having multiple limbs like their spider god right so um yeah what do you think about it i think it looks really cool um the terrain looks like it will be really interesting to play it'll make the the games very interesting uh, to play against, yeah. Versus sure. kind of, <clears throat> you know, the current train we have is is um, is very fun to play with, but it it kind of leaves towards well, it shifts around a little bit. You still just kind of get this feeling of kind of like four quadrants, yeah, in the board. This one looks like it's just kind of tearing up the whole center of the board and into the it, it and it's multi tiered. It's like you know, it's higher than three inches, I think. Yeah for the kind of big bridgeways and stuff. So it looks fun. I think it's going to be fun to play on. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be awesome. Um, some people were complaining about, like, the, uh, the God, the, uh, not God Sworn, but the um, Dark Oath band. They're like, oh, it looks so generic. Um, I kind of feel that way myself, honestly. It, it does feel just a little, like, tribal. Yeah. And nothing special. Um. I've kind of always thought that about the Dark Oath models. There's a couple yeah. Dark Oath models that existed before this, right? Right. Like the Dark Oath Chieftain and the War Yeah, in the uh, um, Slaves of Darkness. Yep. I think, yep. But uh, we'll see. Um, there's a couple. There's one model there that just totally looks like Conan. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and it's beefy, a cool model. They'll have really beefy legs, too. Yeah, right? it's, a, like, it's a cool model. I think, and honestly, I think one of the... One of the female models looks goofy, like she's stretched out, like she's too tall. Or, but um, I don't remember. It's one of them. One of them. The the head looks a little elongated. Nice. Um, but uh, they. I mean, regardless, they're good quality looking models, and if that's what you're into, then uh, you know, go for it. Yeah, definitely. The Conan one looks really cool, though. Yeah, he's like kind of like spinning or. Yeah, yeah. his hair's Heroes, like Heroes Quest. Yep. Yeah, yeah, for sure for sure so yeah man that's our news that's our news for the day yeah so that's the news so we're at 57 minutes now <laughs> uh, <laughs> talking about dune and, for so long and the, and the star wars uh, and the place. star wars yeah <laughs> come on should we just wrap it up i mean uh we've no. got a topic we've got a topic we have a topic and we're going to yeah. talk about a topic our topic today is leveling up right how how you are going to level up your party as a dm when you kick off your campaign one of the biggest things that you need to decide is how are your players going to level up from you know the level zero session that you have all the way up to 20 if you're playing dnd or 10 if you're playing shadow of the demon lord or or whatever it is you know like how are you leveling your people up so yeah go ahead jason I'm just gonna say we're gonna we're gonna try to talk about them. I think it's probably gonna come out yeah. which of these we prefer as we're talking about them. <laughs> definitely. So definitely. it's maybe maybe not a super unbiased view, but you know I think that it's you know we have 
between the two of us, we've got quite a bit of experience playing right. in both of these domains, and we've kind of summed it into two categories. Yeah. Uh, right now, you know, an XP based, which is kind of the the historical legacy based leveling up system, and then a milestone, which has probably come out in the last decade or so. Um, yeah. Really started to make it. I don't know, maybe into the more rule books across multiple systems. Yep. But yep. Uh, anyway. Yeah, yeah, as as we were kind of thinking about like different ways you could level up, we we figured that most of them, most of the RPGs break it down into these two things, right? Like the XP system is a lot like your video games, right? You earn a certain amount of experience points, it hits a threshold and poof, you're leveled up. You know, whereas the milestone base is, um, you know, based on something significant happening in your campaign um, that poof, the whole party, the whole group together, because they have achieved this one big, you know, achievement um, levels up. So uh, let's start with the XP stuff. Um, You know, as we said, you you gain experience as a player, you know, at the end of every session, you ask your GM all right, how much experience did we get? He does some quick math if he's good, long math if he's not. Um, <laughs> good at math, right, I mean. Yeah. Not not a good GM, but good at math. <laughs> it's quick or slow, depending. And uh, he'll give you a number, and you take that number, you add it to your previous number, and if you hit, again, a, a threshold, like if I was at 45,000 XP and they gave me 5,100 XP, all of a sudden I'm at 51,000, and you know, or I guess 5,100, 50,100 is where I would be. See, I'm not good at math. And, (laughs) and, and all of a sudden, because I hit 50,000 poof, I'm now like level 12 or something like that, you know? Um, so that's kind of how that works. What are the pros of running a system like this? So I'm, I'll leave the bullets that you put there for you, but, um, uh, well, I think that, um, Yeah, I think I think thanks. I think one is um, it starts to become very clear in players' minds what what they need to do to gain experience, or or that they need to step out of their their box. Here's the thing, right? I mean, I've played with you play with some parties where people just they kind of just follow the light along the linear path, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And uh, and and they're okay, just kind of kind of with that. But then there's other players that are trying to make they're trying to do the character development they're trying to grow and so having an xp based system encourages them to try to do things um uh in more of a hero fashion in That's every true. situation that they're in yep. you know it's like you know well let me think of a really creative way to solve this little side conundrum that we have to see if i can earn some side xp and a good my way. and a good DM will award that. Right? Always, they'll see they'll see the opportunity. They'll see the creative aspect of it. Like sometimes I would do some side quests with people. They're like, I want to go do this thing, and I knew that it wasn't really relevant to like the main story that we were working on, and it would be a weird side distraction for everybody, for them to go do this one thing, you know. And so I'd say, okay, let's cool. Let's just do a quick little mini session between our thing, and you can go right. do your thing. And here's uh, here's 500 XP for that, you know, because you you work through it. Boom, you know, and they get rewarded for it. And they're like, hey, I feel good because I I I am getting rewarded for something that I have done, right? Like, um, I put the effort in. I get the feedback that that was good. So um, 
you know, and like if you show up every night to your game night, like you're going to get XP for doing the stuff, right? If you don't show up, you don't get it. So it rewards the people who are there, rewards the people for doing what they want to do. Yeah, um, I think it, it's very, um, it's very encouraging of people to play this style of a game in a creative fashion. Yeah. So I, 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 that's a positive I think of it is it helps people think. Let me be creative. Let me, let me be interesting right. in this game. Um, yep. Which, which always helps with the storytelling. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and like I said, uh, you know, a, a, a great DM will say. Oh, this is fantastic! Like, here, take all this XP. You're you're playing great, and it's a way to kind of like, you know, mess with the dials a little bit of the game, to reward people for doing fun, creative things. Yeah. Right? Now there are other ways to reward creativity for sure. Oh, sure. But this is yeah. a tool that a DM has. Right. That can like encourage you, players. You could give them a magic item. You could give them, you inspiration, know, like inspiration. Inspiration. Yeah. You you, yeah, there's definitely other ways to reward them, but this is a way that you could do it. Yep. So, mm-hmm. all right. So, what are the cons of this system? Well, I think you showed one when you were trying to do some math in your head. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. bad. So bad. Yeah. The challenge rating is, you know, that that's that's all. Sometimes it takes a master's degree to figure challenge ratings out properly. Yeah, and that's, I mean, challenge rating is, um, you know, pretty D&D specific. Um, True, yep. But mm-hmm. before D&D Beyond, I will say this, D&D Beyond has made this much simpler because you can put together a uh, list of all your characters. It'll tell you exactly how much experience is worth it in those things. You know what I mean? Um, and so, like, at the end of your night, you can just add those up. Use the calculator real quick, divide by six or whatever it is, and boom, there's all of your XP. And um, and, and so that makes it a lot easier. Um, trying to just do it out of the DM manual with the monster manual, like it's just for, for someone like me that I'm like, okay, I needed to plan the story. I needed to plan the encounters. I needed to plan the other thing. This is just another thing for me to do of like, oh my gosh, now I have to try to figure out how much experience you all got. Mm-hmm. based on what you actually killed, what you avoided, what you you know what I mean because every every DM knows that a plan does not survive first contact, right? Mm-hmm. And so like you may go in thinking like I've got all these monsters ready for them to kill and they only see half of them. So then you got to go back and figure out which ones they did kill and well, you know. Yeah, uh, right. Um, and then there's also, you know, uh, rewarding players for overcoming that encounter um in uh well once again in a creative way right yeah can, yeah you can you can avoid the entire monster encounter by finding a unique way to maybe go un- go around the bridge and not have to fight the troll kind of a thing um, yeah or, or just, like tricking yeah. tricking the trolls till they turn into stone in the morning yeah stuff like right? that right so <laughs> and you should you know you should still get that same xp so <clears throat> it's not necessarily that's not necessarily a con but um I think on the on the challenge rating side, right? Um, there's been some, I guess, recent uh, development where people have actually taken some math to the challenge ratings of the fifth edition system and show that there's actually an what they call an XP valley in the current edition of the D and D. Where if and I think the way they did it was a little interesting. Maybe it's not quite accurate, but it's just a way they tried to normalize. Is they said if you're a certain 
if you're at a certain level and you need a certain amount of XP and you take a challenge rating that was appropriate for you as a solo player, meaning it was just you fighting that challenge rating encounter, yeah. how much XP would that challenge rating encounter reward you uh, towards your next level? Um, and when they did that and they normalized it um, by the amount of XP you needed for your level on these solo encounters, it showed that in the first couple levels, you got a lot of XP when you killed something that was, you know, balanced to you. But then yeah. after the first couple levels, there was this dip where it took like an enormous amount of encounters to get enough experience to level uh, up to the next level. And then once you got to higher levels, it balanced back out to where you needed fewer encounters to be able to get enough XP to level to the next level. So right. there's this little, they're calling it the valley, the XP valley, that kind of slowed campaign progression down right. for XP-based campaigns. So that most of your character, what they say, most people were playing like level six. Yeah. Level six or under characters because of this kind of dip was the theory. It and was taking the, people and longer. And then the campaign would kind of die out before they they got through the valley and and made it to the other edge, where like all of a sudden you're taking down big old trolls and getting a ton of XP and moving up much quickly, you know, yeah. much more quickly. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I think it's interesting because um, you put these encounters together, and and you'll see this very clearly on D and D Beyond. Like you start throwing a bunch of monsters in there, and they'll say like based on your party level. This is deadly, very deadly, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but what's interesting is like you guys are pretty experienced role players, and yep, and you know you guys know your characters very well. You know the combos that are going to like work really well, both with with your own stuff and with each other, you know. And so, um, I. I think there's only been very few of the encounters that I put together that are like lethal that you guys have only barely survived. Like you've done pretty good at them. You know what I mean? There's, there's a couple of close calls with a couple of people, but, um, part of that was like, you guys had separated the party, you know what I mean? And so, uh, you get, you guys were doing good. But anyway, my point, <laughs> what does this have to do with anything, Justin? Um, <laughs> my point is, is that, um, if you are basing your stuff on experience and the challenge ratings and stuff like that, like it's kind of hard to pull punches sometimes. You know what I mean? Because you're like, okay, well, um, the players know they should, you know, they think they should be getting a certain amount of experience, but for them to get there, especially in this kind of XP valley, I should be throwing certain levels of of care of uh, bad guys at them. But that might be too much for them, and they may end mm -hmm. up dying. And so, like, in the encounter, all of a sudden, like, you know, they're fighting this thing that should kill them, but I don't want them to die, so I pull the punch a little bit. Well, they still get the XP for that heavyweight monster, you know what I mean? Even though, like, they weren't up to snuff, technically. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah. Does that make sense? I, that's kind of yep. a meandering thing. Like, I think that you... You know, based on XP, like you could be pulling punches because the thing that they should be fighting is maybe a little advanced for them, or not. It does. It make <clears throat> it makes sense, and that's always a big conundrum with the GM is <clears throat> you have to be able to pull punches because if you put a if you put a, a difficult challenge rating in front of um, 
players that aren't as creative with their characters, you know, the rating can be very lethal. But at the same time, you put that exact same situation, that encounter in front of players who have been playing RPGs for, you know, a decade, and yeah. they know how they know how to tweak and get around things, you know, it could be very easy for them. And it's the exact same challenge rating for the exact same level character. So right. you, have to be, you have to have the ability to balance it without um, losing the ability to control the leveling process Yep. Uh, at yep. the same time. So, um, uh, there's, there's two main things that I, I struggle with, with the XP base system. The first one is it's too easy for players to get kind of left behind, you know? So, uh, let's say for whatever reason, I'm out of town, the group decides to have the session without me. When I come back the next time, everybody's at a level six because they got like 10,000 experience. And now I'm at a level five and 10,000 experience points behind them. Mm -hmm. And I can never really catch up if they're going true like XP base system. So I'm always going to be like half a level behind them as we move up, you know. Yeah, I've seen so. this happen a couple ways. I've played XP based systems where they always reward the base XP to every player, even if they weren't there. Uh huh. Um, I've been in one where if you weren't when, there, you when, got so, half so, the sorry. XP. So when you say ba base XP, is that like the adventure's XP? So like you guys finish the adventure, it's 500 XP, but you also killed X amount of monsters, and that's the variable XP, I guess. No, so the one I played it, it would be every. The GM would tally up the amount of XP that the party got at the end of the night. And okay. then even the players that weren't there would get that amount of XP. I see. Okay. If a player got additional XP during the event because he did something special on the side quest, you know, and he got rewarded maybe 50 XP, only that player would get that. Sure. But sure. it was just whatever the night's tally was at the end, even the players that weren't there would get it. I've okay. also played a campaign where if you weren't there, you got half of the XP. Ah. Uh. And that really, it's like, it, that doesn't really help. It's either all or nothing because yeah, yeah, you yeah, fall yeah, behind yeah, yeah. regardless. But, uh, yeah. But yeah, so, uh, you know, um, uh, it, it, it still makes it a little difficult, uh, at times. But, um, if, if you want to play like true dungeon crawlery style, yeah. you know, RPG. Yeah. Where you're you're allowing you're doing grinding grinding is part of the game then maybe XP makes that's, sense. That's that the part. name of the game. Um, and look, like what this ends up doing, um, like if you've got XP based, is unless you're very clear about like <laughs> figuring out how to award XP for like social encounters right. or creative ways, it's going to turn your players into murder hobos. <laughs> I mean, they're going yeah. to look for opportunities to kill whatever they can so that they can level up. Yep. Right. Like they turn into like a walking hit squad. Um, like <laughs> it's got murder in their, in their eyes for everything. Um, and again, dungeon crawler. Fantastic. That's what they're supposed to do. You're supposed to kill the monsters, loot the treasure. Right, so you want them to be murder hobos in there, but if you're playing like a pretty RP heavy uh, campaign, and they go into a town and they just start murdering guards and stuff like that, like that's probably not a good thing, you know. And so I think you got to be careful. Um, you mentioned dungeon crawlers was a good um, was a good way for XP base. Um, adventure leagues, are you familiar with these? Oh yeah. So, like, this is where you create your character based on the Adventure League rules, and then you will go to a sanctioned event, 
right? And you will adventure like module 1.1 that evening. And mm-hmm. they will give you a certain amount of experience points. So you take it home, you level up your character, you do whatever you want to it. Then you come back the next time to to module 1.2. And it could be at that store or a different store or whatever, but every store has the same modules for this Adventurer's League, right? So you can play in multiple places, multiple different people, um, but you are leveling up your character based on the experience that you got. And so you may end up getting a little bit more because the GM gave you a little bit more for some creativity. I think they've got generally in the, in their adventure adventure league guild with the DMs that they have, they have a set amount of experience for the adventure that you do and for the monsters that you encounter, but they have a little bit of discretionary XP that they can give as well. And um, so you, it, it may end up that you uh, sit down at a table with someone who is a level three character and someone who's a level two character, and that's okay because the module allows for that as well. And you're not mm-hmm. really a party; you're just kind of a group of adventurers that have come together to do a certain task, and that's okay, right? Um, I think I think you run into that as well if you're running a true West Marches campaign where you've got a group of like 10 to 12 people that rotate in and out of your weekly D uh, D game or whatever. And like every game is essentially a one shot. Mm-hmm. And then that yeah. kind of informs like the world that you live in. So like the next week you'd be like, okay, well this group of adventures did X, Y, Z and that person died. Um, but they were able to kill the Lich Lord, which, you know, allowed these other things to happen. Well, you know, you may, somebody may join in later, so you could have, like, a level 2 playing with, like, a level 7. And that's okay, because the DM knows how to adjust the the mechanics a little bit, you know, because you are playing a West Marches campaign where your character is just getting together with these one, for these one-shots, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, so... That's where it works well, um, where the, the campaign is designed for individual characters to come together um, for a quest. It could be a dungeon crawl, it could be you know a one-shot, it could be whatever, um, but that, that to me is where it works well. Yeah, because it allows you to take your leveling um, independently to yeah. the next session that you're going to play. Yep, and it may be with a completely different group. Yep. Right, and so you can take that with you. It uh, allows you to take ownership of your character as well, right? So um, I think that that's I think that that's where it works well. All right, so let's talk about milestone based. Give us an overview milestone based leveling up. So I think it's pretty straightforward, right? It's uh, some some special um, thing has been reached in the campaign yeah. that triggers the party moving to the next level. Right. which is what you call the milestone. And and typically milestones happen at the end of a night, at the end of a session. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have to always happen at the end of every session, right. uh, which gets to something a little bit later, but but uh, typically it does, right? You you do some major thing, some major accomplishment in the story that yeah. is is allows the party to say, "Oh, you guys just your characters just learned a lot having gone through that." So everybody level up. And there's no XP at all. Right. Uh, uh, what is interesting about this is that um, all the D&D books that I have used before are pure XP-based, right, um, that we just talked about. This Rime of the Frost Maiden that we have been running in our latest session is milestone-based. 
pure milestone based. And it's interesting because like the first half of the book, I, I, I'm not sure if I've talked about it really a lot on here, but the first half of the book is like almost pure sandbox. You can go to any, any town. There's at least three or four quests in each town that you can do, you know? And basically what the book says is that, okay, if they finish um, the, as soon as they finish two quests, they level up. Hmm. As soon as they mm-hmm. finish, as soon as they do four quests, they level up. And if they do another adventure after that, then they level up to level three, and then you need to move them on to the next part of the book, right? And then basically that part of the book it says, okay, they need to have accomplished this one quest because it's like part of the main quest line, and then two other ones. And like once they c- complete the main quest, they get a level, and then two other ones, they get another level, and then they move on. You know what I mean? And you move mm-hmm. on in the book. And so. Um, you know, the way that we've been playing it, that may not be every session um, because they may not get too done. There was like one night where you guys ended up um, not completing totally like a couple of the quests, but then the next session you completed like four quests, <laughs> you know, and it was like yeah. boom, yeah. boom, boom. And so you like leveled up like really fast, you know. Um, and so uh, I think it's kind of interesting because, you know, this is a Wizards of the Coast, like official D&D book and they they really move towards the um the milestone based on that. Yeah, I mean and and we see, you know, in D&D Beyond when you create a character, you can state that this is a milestone based character yeah. versus an XP based. So, I think they're embracing it as a rule and have started to do that. And you know, other games we played Shadow the Demon Lord is absolutely a milestone based. Yep. Yep. Um and the party the entire party levels together regardless of whether somebody was there that night or not it's just everybody's leveling together and dean or sorry shadow the demon lord was meant to really level up at the end of every session it was you could drag it out a little bit longer if you wanted to like i think i did a little bit because we were planning a longer campaign you know so yeah i'd have these like mini arcs that you would do and so like when you hit the end of the arc that's when you like leveled up because there was only 10 levels in the yeah in the whole thing you know and so um yeah but uh look the pros of this uh you know even even though D beyond can now track your character like if you're playing dungeons and dragons you can track your character and you can put in this was another con by the way of xp thing keeping track of your xp sometimes because like you'd walk home with your sheet and you'd be like oh crap where did i put my sheet like the next time you went and you couldn't remember how much XP you got. You couldn't remember, you couldn't read the number you wrote down or whatever it was, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, so D and D beyond helps you because you can just enter that number doo, 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 and then that'll automatically calculate everything for you. Um, but with milestone based, like there's no math. You don't even have, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't matter if they fought like a crazy dragon or it doesn't matter if they fought like a pack of little brownies. You know, you're still the baby. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, it doesn't matter. Like uh, what matters is the significant thing you accomplished, you know? Um, Yeah. Uh, In my opinion, it's, it's much more story driven mm -hmm. than uh, kind of mechanic uh, grind. grind. So how do we progress the story? When we progress the story, our characters progress with the story. Yep. It feels more, Honestly, it feels more immersive in terms of a story aspect to me. Right, because uh, you're like, yeah. wow, this feels like something should be important about this, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly, yeah. yeah. So obviously I, you can probably tell which one we prefer, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you 
I mean, I, I like I like that, um, you know, the party gets to level up together. You don't have to worry about anybody lagging. And I think it makes people feel less um, concerned if they legitimately have to, like, miss a game night. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, my gosh, it's my anniversary. Like, you know, we're not going to be like, oh, well, you, you missed out on all that XP. Sucks to be you. Right. You know, like, they'll still level up with everybody and get back into it. Not a big deal, you know. Um, and I think, I think that it allows you to kind of control the narrative on how the party levels up. Cause like one of my, one of the biggest things that I had that I kind of get irked with is like, you're like in the middle of a dungeon and all of a sudden it's like, poof, I level up and now I know all of these spells. And you're like, you were literally sitting in a dungeon. Like, how do you know that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just came to you, like, you know what I mean? And I guess you could be like, well, you had this book that you've been trying to study, and then finally you made a breakthrough. Sure, okay, or something like that. <laughs> but, you know, but with the party thing, you can be like, okay, well, like, you finished this arc now. Now you can go back and, like, you go into the town and, and you know, give me a little story on how you level up. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a, you know, warrior, so I go find an old grizzled town guard, and he teaches me a couple of moves. You know, and and you can kind of control the narrative that way a little bit more. You know, it's funny. I had one one year when I was getting back into D and D after a long hiatus. Um, I think it was during three point five edition. Uh, my wife bought me for Christmas. She bought me a spell compendum, the fifth edition, fifth editions, or no, three point five edition spell compendum. Okay. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. Like, I was looking through. I was like, so many cool spells in here. This is great. So I brought it to the next campaign, and we worked it into the campaign that, like, you know, at some, we did some cool thing, and we came across this, like, spell book, and that was the spell compendum book. Oh, nice. So I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. And then the DM took the book from me and said, Okay, so now I'll have to figure out how you guys actually learn how to read the book. <laughs> and I was oh, like, wait, oh, oh. wait, wait, wait. So, like, I, I can't, like, use it, even though we just leveled up? And he was like, no, you got to figure out how to read the book. It's in a different language. I was like, oh, okay. So, yeah, I never got to use it. <laughs> oh, so sad. Yeah, I was kind of like, uh, I don't know how I feel about this. Like, yeah. My wife gave me this book. <laughs> right. She wants me to play it. You know, it's, it's, we're just having fun. It's a game. Come on. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's always a thought. There. You're in the middle of a dungeon. What happens there? Like, you know. Um, but it's like that. It's also a game, right? So um, yeah, well, you have and, to take some liberties. And, I mean, the thing is, is like, in theory, when you're doing a milestone level up, you level up when you've completed the dungeon. You know what I mean? So you're or not... a major thing yeah. in the dungeon. Right, exactly. Yeah. Sure. You know, I mean, the point is, is that, like, something significant happened where you can now control the narrative a little bit. You know, like, right. maybe you're playing yep. in the Curse of Strahd Castle. You end up doing something significant, and you end up in the library, where now you can read a book that helps you understand, you know what I mean? And or that's something the milestone. Like that. yeah. That's the milestone-based, right? That helps that. Um, one of the things that I love about the milestone-based, and um, I think a good DM still does this with the XP, but I think it comes a lot more naturally with the milestone, is that um, you get to reward players with creative behavior, like... 
um, I, I said a big problem with the XP is that, you know, they see, they become murder hobos because what they see is in order to get XP, I must kill everything I can. Yep. Right? Like every every way to level up is a nail and the only thing that they have is a hammer, <laughs> you know, to do it. And so, yeah. you know, a social situation. Well, let's kill the king. Uh, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Um, you know, and whereas like milestone base, like, now you can take those characters like a bard or, you know, a socially based character and they get their time to shine and everybody still feels it doesn't matter if we're not killing things. We're still going to get like rewarded for accomplishing what we need to do. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can work that in an XP based thing, but, uh, you know, if it takes doing... an experienced DM to do it. Exactly. Though, I think. Yep. It takes an experienced DM. And if you're not an experienced DM or, you know, you're really just trying to use the book to help you along, you might struggle to reward XP outside of combat um, in a balanced fashion. Right. You, know, you might over reward or under reward and then it just gets tricky because you don't really have a metric to gauge it by. Yep. Yep. Definitely. Definitely. Now, what? Okay. So. I mean, we put glowing praise on the milestone system. There are some cons, though. What are some cons of, to the milestone? I think a big one that uh, you know I'd add to the list is that sometimes when you do follow the milestone, players begin to expect that they're going to level up at every session. Right. Um, yeah. But sometimes you get through a session and you haven't accomplished the main task. Yeah. Um, and players have to. Players will ask the GM, "Okay, so what level are we now?" Same level as last time. Really? Yep. <laughs> really. <laughs> really. You know, and then you might have to explain yourself a little bit, which could take could take some immersion out if a player pushes hard on it. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think that's one con there that there's an expectation of leveling up every session sometimes. I th- I think that GMs um, may um, get the get the timing wrong a little bit on awarding XP. And what I mean by that is that they may have this great arc planned out, right? That is a sub arc of the big campaign. So let's say there's a big campaign and the GM is planning three acts within that, right? A beginning, a middle and an end. And, you know, each of those acts may have like three sessions in each of them. So this is going to be a nine session campaign or something like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Just as an example. And they may not think to award them until the end of each act, you know, because like that's kind of in their mind, like when the main significant thing is happening. Um, And so what they need to be rewarding them on is much smaller progressional stuff, you know. And so they may be holding out on the players a little too long Mm -hmm. because they feel like, oh, this isn't significant enough to level them up for. And what I think the counter to this is that you have to say, like, okay, well, when they're a low level, like, what's significant? I mean, think about your video games, right? Like, I level up once I kill, like, five rats in some guy's basement, right? I go from level zero to level one, (laughs) you know? But to go from level 10 to level 12 or or level 11, I need to go, like, take out a uh, vampire and all of his thralls. You know what I mean? Which is a lot more going on there. So yeah. um, I think that, um, you know, having having kind of a guide about like, okay, well, going from like zero to five shouldn't should take maybe the same amount of time as going from like uh, like zero to five should take the same amount of time 
or like a third of the amount of time is going from like five to ten. You know, it comes down to an experienced GM as well, even in this system. Yeah, definitely. You know, inexperience, maybe you hold out too long. Yep. But yep. if you're, you know, if if your story is laid out well before you and you have it broken, decomposed into, you know, uh, if you're going to go this approach, I would say you're going to want to decompose your story into milestones to begin with. Yeah. So that you can un- you can know how the players are going to progress uh, ahead of time. Yep. And I, I think that this helps with the other con, which is like, if you don't time it right, like if you end up leveling up on a milestone that's kind of a dud, like it could feel like, oh, well, that didn't seem very significant, you know, mm-hmm. like, oh, OK, well, cool. Like, we're these big we're these big baddies, but we helped this farmer fix the wheel on his cart and we leveled <laughs> right. up for that. Like, OK. That's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Um, and so, like, again, I think it goes down to the planning. Like, if you if you can say, like, okay, well, if they accomplish two of two of their big objectives, then they'll they'll level up or something like that. You know, um, that that works really well. So, um, what kind of campaigns or 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 sessions does like milestone based uh, leveling up work well in? I think anything that is heavy story focused. Um, yeah absolutely uh, and it doesn't matter if they're doing combat or if they're doing social um or political you know or uh you know anything it just gives you the freedom to say it's it's major it's it's major accomplishments in the progression of the of the story yeah uh, element so if you have you know a role-playing heavy campaigns um maybe not dungeon control uh, you know the opposite of a dungeon grind a dungeon crawler grind uh where you're you're truly focusing on you know manipulating the world and the environment around you through things yep that could play very well in that yeah definitely i think i think campaigns that have like a strong variety of scenarios you know um where you're doing like you know political stuff you're doing social stuff you're doing combat stuff as well you're doing sneaky infiltration stuff you know like if you can have a variety of these things this is where milestone based things i think shine because then your players aren't so concerned about like okay well is this going to earn me xp or what if i decide to side skirt this this uh guard tower like, will I lose out on that XP? Mm-hmm. Like, they're not even asking them that question. They're being like, what's the best way to get in here? Like, that's all they care about, yep, you know? Exactly. And so, and so um, I think that when you have, like, the like more sandboxy stuff, I think Milestone works great. I think when you've got a variety of scenarios that you let your players do. I think when you've got a group of characters that have very uh, different talents, you know, um, so like, uh, you may have a very social character. You may have a very beefy meathead character that just wants to fight all the time. You may have a magic one that likes to use control magic. So they're doing charm things. They're doing, you know, like if you've got a lot of different talents, milestone works, I think better because some people are like, well, I can't kill people. So I don't want to do combat all the time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yeah. Um, I look, I, when it comes down to it, Jason, I will probably 99% of the time choose milestone-based over everything else. Uh, same. Uh, <laughs> and, and even if I'm awarding XP, yeah. if I am doing an XP-based system, I'm usually 
making it a milestone hidden under the guise of XP. Right, right. Yeah. It's like, oh, great, you guys did this. Take 20,000 XP yeah. each. Oh, really? That's <laughs> a lot more than last time. Yeah, I was just really impressed. You guys, you know, really, really impressed. That's yeah, a really, really round good. number, too. Yes, it is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Oh, look, that's exactly... <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's funny, too, because... Um, you know, and then I have done XP-based systems for people who just want to do like one shots, just because you know maybe leveling doesn't really matter so much, yep. but you still get this feeling of oh, there's a little tiny reward. Here's some 50 XP for you. Oh, cool! I did something cool. Yeah. Is that going to help me in the long run? No, not really, because we're just as a one shot. It doesn't really matter, but at least I feel a little rewarded for my efforts. That was um, <laughs> that was so funny that um. Like when I I think we were playing maybe it was at Gen Con and they're like awarding us these like okay you get this XP and we're like are we gonna use this later for anything and they're like no yeah. <laughs> we're like yeah. okay all right <laughs> thanks cool. for the XP so then every time they give it to us later we're like yay hundred XP yeah. <laughs> you know, like... yeah it's like it's just just a it's just a seed to a drinking game fifty right? XP ah <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good times, good times. So, uh, look, we recommend all of you do what you feel most comfortable with. Um, but uh, if I can give you a recommendation, use that milestone XP. It is glorious, in my opinion. But you know, uh, it. But in other scenarios, like it's not the best, right? Again, like those uh, West Marches or Adventures League campaigns, like uh, milestone just doesn't work there. You know, so. Um, do your thing. You do you. Uh, let us know what you think, and uh, give us a like, subscribe, and uh, comment, and and uh, we hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Yep. Thanks, guys. Have a great night. Good night.